that it sort of aligns interests. So I've, I've put in 80% of my work at least during the initial development, getting the site built. And, um, and so I shouldn't be waiting for the client to write content or uh, just sit around waiting because he doesn't have the money yet. Welcome to the Matt Report, the number one WordPress business podcast. This isn't geek speak. It's about the journey of success and failure as a WordPress entrepreneur. Get ready. You're just an episode away from your next aha experience or big idea. And now your host, Matt. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another awesome Matt Report. This is episode 50. I cannot believe it's been 50 episodes already. Today, I have Bill Erickson uh, on the show to talk to us about his freelance business. And it's not just a typical freelance business. He does something that I don't see anywhere, really, uh, in the market. And that is a concrete delivery date. Uh, and you're going to see or you're going you're to hear him discuss his five-day project. And that's the most amazing thing to me is that he is guaranteeing turnaround time of five days to build a Genesis WordPress website for somebody based on their mock-ups. Um, and we're going to dive into that system, how he actually does it, looking at business data, tracking his time. It's a very analytical, in-depth process that you could use in your own business, get a little bit smarter, a little bit more uh, on the ball, I guess you could say, with managing all the stuff around you. Um, so do uh, bring your notepads with you on this one. Like I say in every single other episode, this one is definitely uh, worth the complete listen. So 50 episodes in and things are going really great for the Matt Report. Uh, about 10 five-star reviews up on on iTunes. I'd love to get a little bit more. Um, I'm always getting contact forms. I'm always getting tweets from folks who are saying they love the show. They're learning a lot. Um, so to get that five-star review in iTunes would be great. Join the mailing list, mattreport.com slash Hey, everybody. Subscribe. Welcome back to another awesome uh, Without Matt further ado, Report onto the show. I'm super excited to have somebody that I've been, I don't know, look, looking for a better word, but adoring from a distance uh, for a, quite some time uh, in the WordPress space, Bill Erickson. Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, Bill, you have like one of the best like niche-focused, like falling into a system site um, that I think is just phenomenal. Um, before we dive too deep into that, give folks the two-minute elevator pitch, who you are, what you do. Uh, yeah, I'm Bill Erickson. I'm a WordPress consultant. I've been doing WordPress development for about seven years now, and um, I focus on building uh, websites using the Genesis framework. And uh, quite a few of my projects are, as uh, Matt mentioned, the design to website, five days, $2,500. And, uh, but quite a, a lot of other ones are, um, are much larger projects. So um, basically anything from a uh, really small site to large universities um, I work with. That's awesome. Um, why Genesis? Why StudioPress? Give folks the reason why you, you use a framework. Yeah, well, I, I would say almost all developers use some sort of framework in some way. So there's something you start with, whether it's just a folder full of files that are named the way you like, or a code snippets page, um, or a theme that you've built, um, you, you have something you start with. And the reason you start with it is it saves time from repetitive things you do often. Um, I like using Genesis for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of them is that the, uh, the framework itself continues to get better um, over time without me having to improve it too much. Um, so instead of me investing a ton of time on constantly improving my, my base framework that I'm then going to use on client projects, I can focus on client projects and, and I know that base is staying solid and getting better. Um, it's also, uh, as a developer, it allows me to rapidly develop sites much quicker than I could uh, um, starting from scratch. Um, I like to say Genesis takes care of 80% of stuff so I can focus on the 20% that's custom for that client. And um, it, it does have quite a bit of a learning curve, but so does core WordPress development. Um, but once, you, uh, once you've gone through it and figured out where all the code is in Genesis, what the hooks and filters are, um, you really can build sites much quicker and, and uh, then you're able to deliver higher quality products for lower cost to your clients. That's awesome. That's awesome. Is that one of those things that uh, you hear developers say, 
no more cowboy coding. Uh, does that kind of help with that whole thing um, to kind of just wrangle the, the process down to something simpler? Yeah, it, it does help because it, every little aspect of, of Genesis, you have no idea how many hours go into determining what exactly is going to be used in every little spot. Um, one really great part of Genesis is they um, have a very, it's very open source. A lot of, so a lot of these uh, frameworks out there are GPL, but they're GPL, but still developed by the company. Uh, more than half of the developers of, who, um, who have access to the private GitHub repo for uh, Genesis are not StudioPress employees. So it really is a product that's being developed by developers for developers. And awesome. so um, we, anytime there's bugs or issues, we really take a hard look at it and figure out what's the best way to do it so that um, you don't have to worry about it going forward. Awesome. Um, let's talk about the, uh, you say you do, you have a process where you bring in clients for let's say that five day project, 2,500 bucks, they come to you, they set up a site. Um, and then there's the, you say you go as far as working for larger clients, like a, like a university. Do you have like two different processes for both? Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, it's, I wouldn't say the processes are different. Um, it's, I would say the, the difficulty with the larger projects is, is determining the scope and, and the quote on it. Um, the reason why I started doing the, uh, the smaller projects or, uh, I collected a lot of data on the projects I was doing to determine which ones I was most accurate and most profitable at. And um, the smaller the project, the more accurate I was able to quote and estimate my time on. So I was, I was more profitable at those. And so um, the challenge with the larger projects is really determining um, the exact scope and how long the other things are going to take. So how many phone calls are you going to have to have? How, how long are the change requests going to last? Um, and recently, over the past year or so, I'll, I've moved to a lot more of the larger projects, not necessarily by choice. I think um, there's a few factors at play. Um, I think the, the market for theme developers has uh, grown a lot. So there's a lot more people involved and a lot more people who are more affordable than I am. And so the lower end of the market is, is getting uh, taken by a lot of other developers. Um, and I also have, have the experience to take on the larger projects. So, um, I've, I've, I've seen a large shift. I would say probably a year or two ago, I was doing 80% of my work was the, the design to website in five days. Now it's less than 50%, maybe even 25%. I haven't looked at the data. Um, so it's definitely going down, but I do prefer those projects because I can quote them really effectively. And so right now what I'm doing a lot is when I do build those, uh, larger sites, I keep track of a lot of data. I, I use, um, time tracking to see what I'm spending on initial development, on changes, on phone calls and emails, so that um, I can then look back on those projects and, and try and come up with better estimates of um, how long changes are gonna uh, take and stuff like that for, for estimating future projects. That's awesome, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, one of the things that I do at, at my own studio is I have, <laughs> for better or for worse, uh, my cousin is, is, is my operations manager, and he has a long history in the manufacturing world and being an operations manager in the manufacturing world mm -hmm. uh, and, and highly competitive match manufacturing world like ring binders, right? So it's like outsourced to, to China, like every penny counts like in this mm -hmm. slim margin space. So bringing him into the studio, we, we, we did exactly that, right? So we started tracking the hours, we started tracking the phone calls, the meeting minutes, um, you know, even breaking it down as far as, you know, uh, particular maybe custom plugin or, or even even deeper than that, like some kind of custom function um, and knowing what our averages were. Did you know right off the bat, hey, I need to track this stuff or did you kind of find that through process of elimination? Um, it was probably through process of elimination. Um, it started off as, as all developers do, you probably don't, you have more time than you have work and so you take on whatever projects you can and, and you just do what needs to get done and anytime someone's willing to hire you, you're, you're ecstatic. Um, but then once you get to the point where uh, you, you have, you're turning down work, you then have to make the decision of which projects do I want to take on. And so I was just accepting whatever came in first and then I'd get booked up for a few months and then these great projects would come along that I wouldn't be available for or I'd get stuck for months on these projects that are just dragging along and not working out that well. So um, I started doing the time tracking just to figure out what projects I'm spending the most time on so that I could then focus on the ones that I enjoy and the ones that make me the most money. And so uh, I, 
I, I have increased my um, hourly rates and project minimums over the years, but I found I've gotten much larger increases in revenue by just optimizing the projects I take on rather than increasing what I charge. Nice. A lot of freelancers out there are saying, hey, Bill, uh, first world problem. You're saying no to projects. I'll take whatever you got. Uh, <laughs> how, how did you come about um, the ability to say, you know what? I'm not going to take this project. I got pl plenty of a pipeline. Um, what was that breaking point for you? Or, or how did you accrue so much work uh, in the early days? It, it definitely took a while. So I've been doing this for what, like seven years now. And I'd say probably the first four or five, I would take anything that came along. And I started out working for a university. Um, and then uh, I was building WordPress sites for them. And then I was like, I, I think I could probably do this. And so I was a student worker at the time making $10 an hour. And so people would hire me for $10 an hour. And so I quickly uh, learned to raise my rates a bit more and to make something reasonable out of it. But it does take a lot of work to um, to to uh, raise your amount of awareness so that you have enough deal flow coming in. Um, one thing that really, really helped me is partnering with a um, complimentary service online. So right now I'm, I'm a, a Genesis developer, but um, earlier I was a thesis developer when thesis was the original theme framework out there. And um, just building on top of a platform like Genesis or thesis, um, it's a, it was a great cycle because I build a really cool project. They featured on their website to show what that platform could do, and that would result in more leads coming to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'd say identify a theme framework, a plugin, a tool, anything in the market that you like and you want to specialize on and and see if they can promote you and promote the work you do. So um, like Gravity Forms, WooCommerce, BB Press, there's a ton of these sort of micro niches in the WordPress community that you could focus on and um, and get known for and then and you get some deals flowing too. That's awesome. Um, have you ever thought about expanding the Bill Erickson brand to say a virtual team to kind of pick up this, the slack that maybe you don't have time for when you're working on larger projects? Yeah, I, I considered it. And um, for a while, I was um, going to hire my wife, who was my then girlfriend, to, uh, to handle part of my uh, workload in the communication aspect. Um, the, uh, I, I was trying to, I sort of hit a roadblock and I was trying to uh, outsource it. So I spend over half my day on the phone or doing emails, not getting time to do work. And so I was like, how I need to, to like systemize my business so that I can break these projects down into chunks and, and then I can pull myself out and allow people to come in. And so I did systemize my business. So I have like my, um, my initial contact with prospects. So I have like a cycle there that I go through. Then I have initial development and then I have changes and then I have migration. But I found that just going through the process of systemizing all the aspects of my business, I found a ton of efficiency and now I didn't need to hire anyone. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I have considered expanding my brand, bringing in other developers. Um, but there's, there's different ways to, to be successful. And I feel like I, I have a certain level of type of project that I enjoy working on. And by hiring people, I have to take on twice as much work. And then I have to uh, lower the standards on the type of projects. So maybe the less profitable ones, the ones that aren't enjoyable. And, um, I've, and I've considered, yes, I could hire someone, but I don't know if, um, I think it would increase risk because there'd be uh, the sal additional salaries I'd have to pay. And I don't see much benefit. I rather um, have a um, sort of a distributed network of developers and designers that it's sort of like an informal company where when I have too much work, I, I send it out to other people and let them uh, build their own brands and companies and, and be successful. But then if work starts to dry up, I don't have to keep paying them. I just keep the leads to myself. Awesome. The five day package, let's focus on that a little bit because I'm, mm -hmm. inter I'm interested to hear, um, sure, maybe your work is five days, but from my own experience at that price point, the client is going to take 55 days <laughs> to produce either content or, or you know, proofing uh, the, the development um, mock-ups or design mock-ups, whatever it might be. How did your, or how, what was the reaction like from clients on that five-day plan? Did they were like, wow, this is like way too fast for me? Or are they happy to, to work in that, in that time frame? Um, and to be clear, the, the five days is just from when I start development to when I give them a functional site. The project usually lasts a lot longer than that. Oh, okay. So um, the, the typical workflow would be a client contacts me. 
um, and says we have a very simple site. Well, I'll use the design agencies because they've worked with me before. They know the structure. They know what qualifies for that price late, um, pricing. They'll call me up and say, we have a project we're getting ready to start. It'll be a simple site, two pages. Um, and I'll say it'll qualify for that five days, 2,500. And they'll tell me the designs will be ready on this day. And, um, and I say, okay, we'll schedule it. And so um, to, to be able to keep a dependable friendship to know exactly how long everything is going to take. And so the goal is to eliminate uncertainty. So um, I, one of the things I do is I require um, all the designs to be received by the Thursday before I start. And then I schedule it to start on a Monday and then I deliver it on a Friday. And so um, that way on Friday, the Friday before I start, um, if I have any questions or concerns, we can talk about it before we start eating up into those five days. And then, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it qualifies for, it's a fairly standard site. So I'm able to turn them around pretty quickly. Um, it's when the sites have a lot more custom functionality that it becomes more difficult to time in. Or if I'm going to need to bring in someone, let's say as a custom rotator with a, that I need to hire a jQuery developer for, I'm not going to be able to hit that timeline because I'm not going to be able to bring in other people and review their code. So um, it, it is a very particular type of project that fits, but a lot of websites actually do fit in that area because they just need a standard site that um, looks like their designs. Hmm. How do you manage the expectation when the client sends you uh, what is what what is the requirement that the client has to send you in order to fall into the twenty five hundred range? Like, will they say will they send you a wireframe or a mock up and say, yeah, this is kind of what I'm looking for? Can you can you do it for twenty five hundred bucks? And you say, no, 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 we're gonna have to go into to some deeper some deeper uh, process. So I I require uh, finalized Photoshop files for everything I build. Um, I, I actually started out as a designer, a really bad designer, <laughs> and then I moved into code and realized I'm much better at that. And so for a while, I would I would help sort of do design and development. They give me some wireframes and do some mockups. But um, I found that there, if you don't have a finalized design file up front, a pixel perfect representation of what the client wants, then you're going to end up with a ton of iterations as they try and refine what they want after you build it. And so um, I require that they provide those finalized designs that are approved, so that once I deliver the site. Um, we have we have two sources of the scope. We have the design files that say what it's supposed to look like, and then my scope of work that says how it's supposed to work. And so, if any of their requests are outside of those, so it's like, well, I wanted this button to be green and this header to be rounded or something, then it's outside of the scope of work and it'll cost extra. So it really helps to to have those finalized, approved design files so that the client can't keep changing the design as you continue building it. I'm always interested in the feedback on how you handle sort of that project scope creep. Um, you know, when somebody says, I really wanted that to be green, do you do something like, well, we're going to wait till the project is done. I'm going to wait for final payment and then we'll have a new invoice for this work. Or do you kind of work that in between and then invoice them at the end kind of thing? Uh, yeah, it, it just depends on what it is. If it's fairly small, I'll usually throw it in. But um, I'd say it all starts with having a very clear contract mm -hmm. um, that describes exactly what's included and what's not included. And um, for instance, I have a line in my uh, at the end of my scope of work. It says something like, um, "Any features not described here or easily implemented through an existing plugin are out of the scope and will cost my hourly rate." And so, anytime they ask me a question, I can look back at that and say, "Well, is it listed on any of the bullet points here?" No, then it's outside of scope. So it starts by a to set the expectation of what's in and what's out of scope. From there, you can be lenient and, and let a few small things in, like client will notice that their logo is looking wrong, so they give me a new one. That's, of course, fine. Mm -hmm. um, but if we do get to some large changes that are really out of scope and taking some time, then um, I'll just get their approval to do that at an hourly rate. And then um, when the project is done, I'll usually send an invoice for whatever's left. Um, I require all invoices to be paid before the site launches. so. Um, that, that extra invoice will usually be sent right when we're done with development, but before the site goes live. And then once it's paid, then the site can go live. That was actually my next question. What are your payment terms like? Are you asking 50% up front and then finalizing it at the end? I actually have a, a different structure, which I think is much better. Um, I, I use 25% up front to uh, schedule the project. So um, we'll discuss the project. I'll come up with an estimated scope of work and cost send an invoice for 25%, and once that's received, it's added to my calendar. 
And on the day that I start, I'll send an invoice for um, the remaining 75% payable, usually in 15 business days, but um, you'll always have at least five business days to review the site. So if development's gonna take three weeks and it'll be payable in four weeks. Um, that way, uh, payment is tied to project start, not project end, because projects can last forever. I literally migrated a site off my server a few weeks ago that's been on there for two years. And um, that it sort of aligns interest. So I've, I've put in 80% of my work at least during the initial development, getting the site built. And, um, and so I shouldn't be waiting for the client to write content or uh, just sit around waiting because he doesn't have the money yet. Uh, tying payment to project start aligns interest. It gets you paid when your majority of your work is complete and then it motivates the client to get the site launched because if they know launching the site will cost them X thousand dollars. It's sort of a demotivator to launch. That's tremendous. Um, so let's just repeat that so folks can, <laughs> so folks can take that in. 25% to schedule and then a fee to actually start the work. Yep, yeah, it's 25% it's to, uh, um, to schedule the project. And then when I start it, I send the invoice for 75%, but it's payable five days after my work is complete. So. I have 25% in the bank, then on Monday I start work, and then let's say it takes five days to build the site, um, 10 days after that I actually get the final payment. So they get to see the full site before paying the final 75%, but I get paid on a reasonable schedule, a predictable schedule, rather than having a ton of invoices outstanding waiting for clients to finalize and approve sites before I get paid. And do you carry over the same payment terms to a custom project? Um, in the most part, that's why I said um, the small projects, it's 15 business days, but if development's going to take 15 business days or more, I extend the payment term so they still get the ability to review the site for five days before that payment is due. Mm -hmm. Because I, I'd hate for them to have to pay 100% before they even see a site. So um, yeah, I, I had the same structure. And, and on some larger projects, we'll, we'll break in some milestones, um, like 50% five days after initial delivery and then 25% 15 business days later. But um, you should always tie payment to something that you do, a deliverable by you rather than a deliverable by the client. Because um, if it's something you do, then you're in control of your payment schedule. If it's something that they do, then you, you've lost control of when you'll get paid. Yes, that is, that is great. The... Um... So you have to be really accurate at, at being able to estimate your own time and what you can do um, in order to, to execute this seamlessly. Um, you have to be able to say this, you know, if you are looking at a, at a more custom project that might be 45 to 60 days of, of work, uh, you have to be really good at uh, understanding what you can produce in that time frame. Uh, one would imagine. Uh, do you have a, sort of a story, kind of a war story of how you came about this, this, this payment uh, process, something that happened in the past that you said, you know what, I'm tying it to start from now on. Um, well, I've, I've had a, a few of them. I mean, because every, everyone, when you read online, you're like, well, 50% upfront, 50% on completion, that sounds good. Um, I've had times when I was getting ready to go on vacation and I had like $10,000 outstanding that I was expecting to get paid and the clients just don't pay me and it really ruins vacations. But I would say that the best horror story would probably be um, not related to necessarily uh, the payment schedule, but rather the uh, uh, defining scope and, and being able to quote a project. So I had a project a, a few years ago, it was uh, liquor.com, which was a really awesome website and um, great guys over there. And they sent me over these designs and I'm like, I think I could do this. And, and so I gave them a quote, which I thought was pretty high. I don't remember how much it was right now, but um, every, every day for like the next three weeks after the site was delivered for them for review, like I spent like a good three or four weeks on initial dev building that out. And then when we, uh, when I sent it over to them review, I was super happy with it. Every day for about three weeks, they, um, their designer sent me probably 10 to 20 screenshots with little arrows on them saying, this needs to move up one pixel. This needs to move left three pixels in IE. And I was like, oh my God, this project's never going to end. And I came close to like returning all payment. And luckily my wife talked me down off the ledge and, <laughs> and I hired one of those uh, HTML markup agencies to handle that. And so 
all the little tiny HTML stuff I sent off to them, and then I focused just on the WordPress specific changes. But it's it's stuff like that where um, getting into the project, you I was like, I, I can do that initial build, but not considering what the changes are going to look like. And when you have a very, very detailed designs and 30 PSD files, there's going to be a lot of changes. And and that just ruined my profitability because I was working on that project for like three months. Mm. But uh, but it launched and and it was a successful website. So that that's actually a, a common uh, thing that happens to a lot of us. Um, it's actually one that kind of hits home to me because we're kind of dealing with that right now <laughs> with one of our projects. How, how, if Bill could take that back, go back in time, would you just simply charge more for the project or was there something in there that you could, that you could kind of validate and say, look, Mr. or Mrs. Client, see this PSD? This is how exactly how it's going to look when I transfer it to the web. Is there something we should be doing to kind of prove to people that this is what it's going to look like when it's done and that's it? There's probably a, a few things I learned from that. The, the, the first thing that I did, which was um, just to avoid that from happening in the future, was not take projects that large. Awesome. So that's that's really when I started focusing on this five days, $2,500, or I think it was 2000 at the time, um, focusing on the smaller projects where I had a predictable um, work. I was trying to just avoid the ones where uh, I, I couldn't predict how much the changes would be. So rather than trying to predict them, I was just like, well, I'm not going to deal with that problem. Um, more recently, I've, uh, I've been sort of forced up into that position because um, these great large projects are coming along and a lot less of the smaller sites are coming along. Um, so some things that I've learned is setting expectations. So make sure the client understands that web is not print. There are some small discrepancies across browsers. Um, there's some things that, uh, and, and let them know, yes, we'll make it this work like this, but these things are outside of scope. So like in my quote, I, I specify all the browsers through which I test. So the most recent versions of Firefox, Safari, Chrome, and then the past two versions of IE. So setting expectations there is, is a really important thing. And then um, and just try your best to estimate what changes will take. And, and the best way that I've found to do that is collecting data and then looking back on that data um, both on like size of project, complexity of project, and um, an industry type. Um, for instance, I found realtors are, they usually have a lot more change requests or a lot more um, needy and hand-holding. And so, so for, for a real estate site, the cost is going to be a bit more because I, I know the initial development will be the same as another site, but I know after initial development is done, there'll be a lot more time spent on that project. So I would say look at the complexity of the site um, and industry comparables throughout your past portfolio to try and estimate where you're going to be. And then um, use your scope of work document, your uh, your contract to try and limit it as much as possible so that um, both parties know what's included and what's not. That's tremendous advice as well. Uh, anybody who's ever dealt with real estate agents, doctors, uh, lawyers, they, they, they will know that the, uh, the project might launch swimmingly but it's all the support afterwards or at the launch date of understanding what all this WordPress stuff is, um, you know, can really start to add up and, and, and plan to price accordingly. Um, and it's a great way for someone who's listening to say, this is the market I want to go after. Like if I want to be the Bill Erickson of real estate, I can do that. If I want to be the Bill Erickson of plastic surgeons, I can go after that. Yeah, it's um, not to talk to those industries anyway. They're, they're all, there's great clients in there, but um, different industries have different expectations. Right. And, um, and it, you should make sure you, you've built your business accordingly. Um, with the way I've structured a lot of my projects, it's to minimize, it's to keep the cost down so I'm able to deliver that project quickly and at an affordable rate. Um, it, the, the biggest thing is trying to keep communication down. And so I, in my contract, I limit phone calls to one hour. Um, I try and um, use email as much as possible. I ask them to send me long bullet point lists that include all their changes so we, I can knock them all at once rather than over weeks as each email comes in. So my, my business structure has really been about um, efficiency and minimizing communication so that I'm able to deliver a product at a reasonable price. And um, but there's some industries that just doesn't work well for it, and they would rather pay twice as much and and have a lot more communication. So it's identify what you good, what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and the types of clients that would appreciate that. Yeah, I actually over on the uh, Google WordPress Entrepreneur Group, um, 
Curtis McHale and I uh, were going back and forth on an article that he put out about keeping, you should be updating your clients at least twice a week um, on a project. I sort of agree with that. I think it might be overkill. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, if you're limiting your, your updates to an hour phone call, um, you know, what are your, how do your clients react to that? And, you know, what are your feelings? Yeah, I would say it's, um, it's not that I'm not communicating with them. It's identifying the best ways to communicate with them. Perfect. And so, um, for instance, uh, a lot of, before I added in that, that one hour phone call, I, I actually, this was part of my like data driven, uh, business approach. Um, I keep track of what I spend on initial dev changes and phone calls. And I saw that almost every project required maybe 30 to 45 minutes on the phone. But then there's those few projects where I spend four hours building something and five hours telling them why we built it that way. <laughs> and so that was really in there to, to like cut off that outlier. And so, um, the, I would say 90% of my projects require an hour or less of phone calls. And then those extra 10%, they, they pay for that additional time, which they're willing to do. Um, and it, I think that's a better approach than subsidize, like raising your rates for everyone and subsidizing those few who need it. Um, but the reason why it works for me is um, I've identified a lot of the things that the average client would ask. Um, so when I start development, I send them over WP 101 video tutorials so they can get to know how WordPress works. Um, when I uh, deliver the site for review, I include links to all the pages that are built out or the ones that they provided designs for. And I provide a huge list of instructions on how to manage every little aspect of your sites. I start at the top, work my way down. So here's how to manage your menu and the header right area. And, um, and so the, the videos give them that base level WordPress knowledge they need. My, uh, my detailed list describes in detail how to use the site we built. Then they go through it play around with it. And um, if they still have questions that they don't know how to work, then we can hop on the phone and knock those out. And um, phone calls work great for those things. The things that that weren't clear from the videos or my instructions, we can easily hash out on the phone. Um, they don't work good for uh, explaining how WordPress works initially. Those videos are much better than that. Or about requesting change requests. I'd rather see it listed so that I can then address them and respond to them. We don't, they don't get lost in an hour long phone call. It's amazing. I recently at WordCamp Providence um, brought your site up as an example of somebody who, you know, is focused, has a system, and has a clear uh, definition of what you have to offer. Because when I, I do a talk about folks who are just jumping into like the WordPress space of becoming either a WordPress freelancer or starting a, a WordPress agency, and mm -hmm. I and I try to tell them, look, don't walk into a pro if you're not a web designer. <clears throat> Don't walk in saying that you're going to design the most beautiful website ever created, right? If, if you mm -hmm. have to use a StudioPress theme or a Woo theme or a ThemeForce theme, whatever, uh, be honest with your client and say, I'm not the designer. I'm, I'm putting this, I'm developer. I'm de putting this all together for you. And even if you're neither, if you're neither a designer or a developer, but you just understand how to do WordPress good, then leverage that and leverage that in your system and your process and your price point. Um, I completely agree with that, and um, and in the, the the Genesis ecosystem, I, I think that's even more important because there's so many different skill levels and people and focuses of what people do, um, and they all market themselves as developer. And not to knock anyone, but when a uh, there the you want to set the expectation of what the client's going to get. I've had clients come to me saying I expected to get this custom website done. And someone installed a child theme and a few plugins and then said all my other requests weren't doable. And so that there's no problem with being the one that installs a child theme and activating plugins. There's a ton of clients that can benefit from it. A lot of people who contact me, they, um, I'm way outside their budget. They're looking for something for a few hundred dollars and activating a theme in 30 minutes of activating plugins and showing them how to use it would be perfect for them. Um, but make sure the clients know what you're going to provide before you start because you want to at least meet but hopefully exceed their expectations. And, and, if, and if you're marking yourself as a full-service developer but you're not actually doing any development work, then there's going to be some, some issues. Right. And, and I think it rings even more true when you bring up um, uh, sending folks the WP 101 videos because now you're, now you're even pulling that process out um, or a good portion of it and saying, I'm not even sitting down with these folks and training them, you know, from start to finish. I'm partnering with somebody who's doing this great. 
and I'm giving them a product that does it really great and they're getting the whole training process. So they don't expect me to train them on what a page in a post is, that kind of thing. Which they I actually like it better because um, uh, Sean does a much better job than I ever could doing training. Right. Uh, they get a nice video that shows them how to do it because I normally would just do it over the phone because the majority of my clients aren't local. And that training, and the most important thing is that training doesn't disappear. So even if I did do an amazing in-person training, um, that, that knowledge doesn't stick around and they can't rewatch it. And so by using WP 101 plugin, um, they have those video tutorials built into their, their site at all times. And so I have clients who don't log in their site every six to nine months and they never remember how to do something, but they can go watch that video. And when things in WordPress change, the menus change and they don't know what's going on. They can go watch the video on the menus to see what's changed. So, um, there's, there's a lot of benefits. It's not, um, the way I, I describe it is not that I'm, not providing you support, but I've found a better way of providing you this WordPress training and they all appreciate it. Yeah, totally agree. Um, all right. So I just a bunch of questions I want to ask. I'm kind of flying through this because you are, you just have a wealth of knowledge um, that, I, <laughs> that I want folks to, to learn from. Uh, let's quickly talk about your pipeline. At any given point, how many folks do you have in the queue and kind of how do you handle that? Oh, it, it really depends. Um, I... I don't have too much data. I should have collected some, but I, I'd say I probably get um, between two to ten inquiries a day. Um, most, not all of them are qualified. I would say at least half of them I, I refer out. I say I'm not a good fit for this project, and I recommend some other people for. Um, then, uh, then I I send over a standard email that describes my services in more detail and my current availability. Um, then I schedule phone calls with them. And I usually probably have, I don't know, four to eight phone calls a week. And then uh, out of that, I schedule a few projects. And I'm usually, I would say, probably about, I have 10 to 15 projects scheduled at any one time. It really depends. It's more so of the size of the projects because the larger the projects, the more time it takes up. And people don't seem to like to book stuff more than two months out. So um, I'm usually booked about one, maybe two months out. And once I get further than that, no one wants to schedule with me. So um, the larger the projects, the less stuff I have in the future. But I'm usually consistently about one month booked out. Very cool. Um, has Bill Erickson ever thought of creating a digital product theme train or video or selling your contract? Any, anything in that digital product space that, that uh, WordPress seems to be all about? Yeah, um, I, I sold a theme. Um, I uh, sold uh, the first responsive Genesis child theme. It was when StudioPress was starting their marketplace. I was one of the first themes to launch, and it was a responsive one. StudioPress didn't have anything responsive at the time, and it was one of their top sellers. But even being one of the top sellers, it was not worth it in any way. Um, I don't know how, how other people do it, but um, the support demands were so incredible compared to the amount of revenue coming in. Um, people... I'd get maybe 10 or $20 out of a sale and people would demand more of me than my clients who pay me two, ten, twenty thousand mm. dollars $20,000. So um, I, I just couldn't keep up with the, the support requirements and wasn't really making anything on it. So um, I requested Studio Press pull it and then I put it up for free on GitHub. So um, I would say, and I like the, the move in the market now where uh, they're not doing just one-time low price and providing free support forever. I like that prices are going up and uh, are being more tied to support costs, um, like yearly, if you're going to be requiring support like that. Um, but I, I haven't seen, I, I keep my eyes open, but I haven't seen an area where um, I feel like I could uh, make enough to justify the, the time and cost investment um, to be in a digital project. So, I mean, I've looked at selling plugins, I've looked at uh, um, writing ebooks or selling contracts and stuff, but I haven't really seen a market opportunity worth pursuing yet. Very interesting. Um, where, where do you see the WordPress marketplace going, especially with all this chatter about uh, the sustainable theme business or sustainable plugin business? I mean, do you, do you foresee the, the, the price is rising um, like dramatically, like a few hundred bucks for a, for a theme um, and then putting that into a recurring system? I, I would like to see more separation between um, theme and support uh, because that's that's the real cost determinant there. So I mean, most theme shops are or have been structured more like a Ponzi scheme where the uh, 
the, the support cost of all our current client base is covered by the sales of this month. And so when sales go down, support suffers or the business closes. And so as long as sales are going up, you're good. Um, and I would rather see uh, a separation rather than trying to estimate exactly how much we should charge so that the 10% of people that need support are covered. We're able to uh, say, okay, our themes are going to cost $10, $15, but if you'd like a support package, it's going to add $100 a year or something. So sort of set in the eyes of the um, uh, the consumer where the actual costs are going because theme cost is a one-time cost and support usually takes a lot more. Mm, definitely. Quickly, let's talk about WordPress and where kind of WordPress is going. Um, there, you're, you're going to be at Pressnomics this year, correct? Correct. Um, what do you think about something other than a WordCamp, like a Pressnomics? Do you think there should be more uh, stuff like that going on? Um, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I really like to see the, um, the market evolving and, and seeing people other than um, WordCamps pop up and, and explore different opportunities. Um, me and some friends here in Austin, we organized a um, WordPress um, unconference called Word Up Austin, and, um, and it was a huge success. And I, I don't think that they're necessarily competing with WordCamps. They are um, offering different opportunities. And, um, and I think Pressonomics is serving a huge one. I think uh, business knowledge is, is needed more than uh, any other thing in the WordPress community. At least that's what I found from my uh, experience. When I go to WordCamps, they, uh, they always want me to talk about a business topic rather than a technical one. Mm, very cool. Um, and what's Bill Erickson's biggest challenge these days? Biggest challenge? Um, I, I would say trying to, I would say the biggest challenge is when you find a, a business or a market setup that works, continuing to experiment and play around uh, so that you don't get left behind. So I have sort of this structure that's working really well. I build great sites on Genesis and I'm having a good time, but I haven't really been um, expanding or pushing my bounds too much. And so I, I'm trying to, uh, to play around more with, uh, with new things like WooCommerce, BB Press, um, some other newsletters and stuff like that, trying to just expand what, what I have experience with. So, um, so I have new stuff to offer to my clients. Hmm. Very cool. Well, I think it's going to wrap the more formal interview. There's been a ton wealth massive amount, <laughs> truckloads of knowledge um, that you were able to give to the audience there. So I really, really appreciate that. Let's, uh, let's jump into the last few segments here. First, uh, some listener questions came in while we were on the, while we were on the call. Uh, Chandler Coyle asks, uh, love to hear about his work setup. Like what kind of apps and software do you use um, to stay productive? Um, it's, it's pretty simple. I, um, I code with Coda. Um, and I have Sublime Text installed so that I can do um, searches through the WordPress and Genesis code base since that's not built into Coda. Um, I develop on uh, Synthesis as my dev server because I have um, root access to their servers, easy to pull and push as sites using wget and um, rsync. And, um, and yeah, I, I build on Genesis. I have a base child theme that I build from that's on GitHub that a lot of people use. And um, and I use advanced custom fields a lot. It's a it's a great custom fields plugin. So yeah, that is, that's a great plugin. Um, that kind of answers uh, the next question that I usually have. It's called "What's in your toolbox? What piece of software or hardware do you use on a daily basis?" Um, I guess if do you have a an iPad that you use uh, 24/7 or any other hardware that you might be using? Hardware wise, not really. But I I would change the question to software. Um, Genesis CRM. It's it's a CRM that I built myself um, on WordPress, and um, I highly encourage all WordPress developers to build their own CRM. And the reason why is um, a CRM, a customer relationship manager or management system, uh, it allows you to manage all aspects of your customers from initial contact through project completion. Um, I use it to for um, for managing my projects and also for that data collection I mentioned earlier. So anytime someone sends me an email through my website, it automatically goes into the CRM, gets marked as a prospect. Then when I uh, schedule a phone call with them, I have a little text box in there to keep notes. When it, I schedule the project, I mark it as scheduled and put the date. And so it adds it to a little timeline 
It shows me my active projects and things that need changes, my completed projects. It just allows me to all out manage everything. And um, the reason I recommend you building it on WordPress is um, as a WordPress developer, we're able to customize it to do what we want. And the most important parts of a CRM is that it collects the data you care about and it displays it in an interesting way. So, um, for instance, I updated my website about a year and a half ago, I think, and I needed to fill out my portfolio with more stuff. But as most developers know, we're pretty bad at updating our portfolios, especially when you launch a site and it's not really ready to be featured. So I um, added a feature to my CRM. So when you're editing a project, there's a little box that says portfolio, and there's two checkboxes. One says included in portfolio, and the other says purposely excluded from portfolio. <laughs> and, um, and then I have a template page that just lists um, all the pending projects, the ones that don't have either of those checked. And every few months, I'll go in there, pull out the ones that I want to add to the portfolio and check include, pull out the ones that I don't want, check exclude, and then just let it go for another few months so I can keep up with the projects that I want. That's tremendous. Um, do you actually, uh, this was probably should have been part of the interview, but do you actually um, integrate your billing with that too? Or do you use another system for that? Uh, I use FreshBooks for billing. Um, I've, I've thought about integrating a lot of stuff in it, like billing and time tracking and stuff. But when there's a already a best in breed product out there that does it, there's no reason to reinvent the wheel. So that's why my time tracking is separate. It's in toggle. Every few months, I'll go build a report in toggle and manually enter the times on the project so then I can do um, analysis like finding out my effective um, hourly rate on all my projects and then sorting them by which ones I'm making the most on to identify what kind of projects are good and what kind of projects are bad. But um, yeah, I use Toggle for time tracking and uh, FreshBooks for uh, payment processing. That's T-O-G-G-L, right, com. Awesome. I'm going to get that in the show notes. Perfect. Let's jump into the last segment, which is the lightning round, where I'll ask you a series of quick questions, and you'll have a series of quick answers. The uh, number one plugin you cannot live without. Already covered advanced custom fields. <laughs> well, your favorite WordPress or business book? Favorite WordPress book would be, um, what is it? WordPress Plugin Development by Brad Williams. Yep. That was a great book. I, I have it on my uh, Kindle or with a bunch of notes in it. Um, business book, uh, probably Rework by 37 Signals. Um, but I'd also say I like reading books that are sort of outside the normal business sphere and pulling ideas from it. For instance, um, autobiographies are great, or biographies in general. Um, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman is an autobiography by Richard Feynman, and um, it, it illustrates how, how you should always have a curious life and, and always be exploring new opportunities. So um, I love just reading all kinds of things, autobiographies and uh, fiction and stuff, and just pulling those ideas out and into integrating them into my business. That's awesome. Uh, a quote that you live or run your business by? This gets back to that CRM, trust but verify. Uh, trust your gut when you're making business decisions, but try your best to collect data and verify that that was a good decision. What's the best business or career advice you ever received? Hmm, that's a hard one. Um, boring but probably keep really good records <laughs> and uh, I want to make sure I don't get audited <laughs> or if I do it's it's painless because I have all the records so I have a excel file that I use to keep track of profit and loss I have a document for every single transaction in there scanned in so keeping good records so that if something does happen it doesn't ruin your business it's awesome uh, what's the longest a client project has ever taken I think I mentioned this earlier. Um, I had a site that's been on my server for about two years. Um, and every six months or so, they'd send me an email with a few change requests. And they'd email me that uh, this plugin no longer works because we used it two years ago and it's no longer under development. <laughs> um, and so uh, this gets back to another cool point that I didn't cover. Um, my contract is an evolving document. And so after every few projects or every time I have a bad project or something go wrong, I look back and say, is there something I could have done to prevent this through my contract or through my process? And so um, this specific project led me to add a section of my contract that um, limits the modification period to um, 15 business day intervals. So um, when you have you, when you send me a, a set of change requests, I'll work my way through them, and then um, once I deliver the completion, the 15-day clock starts. So if you wait six months, the project is complete, and you have to pay additional to to make those changes. But as long as we're we're working through it every few weeks, you you send me a few changes, and there's nothing to worry about. 
That's awesome. I, I think we could do a whole show on just your contract. Um, <laughs> if you had to switch to another CMS, what would it be? That's a hard one. I don't really use other CMSs. Um, there's Jekyll, which is sort of like a static HTML file-based CMS thing, which looks really cool. Um, I say a lot of people use that with GitHub. Like you can use GitHub to host a Jekyll site, but I'd never use something like that for a client because they wouldn't be able to edit it. Yeah. Um, uh, who should I interview next? Um, have you interviewed Thomas Griffin? I have. Well, that was probably a great one. I'll need to go. <laughs> um, what about Jake Goldman? I have not, but he's on my radar. Okay, he's he's another great one. I always have really interesting conversations with him. We have um, somewhat differing opinions. We have great conversations, and uh, um, he's he's always asking me, "So, so when are you going to start or join an agency?" And I'm like, "When are you going to go freelance?" So, yeah. <laughs> and Jared Atchison is another great uh, developer. Um, we we do, both do very similar stuff, and uh, and good friends and and are always talking to each other and figuring out how we could have done stuff better to prevent things from happening in the future that yeah. were bad. I met Jared out in Chicago and uh, been friends with Jake for a while and no surprise that Jake has a different opinion than the rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? I don't know. I think you pretty you covered pretty much everything. Awesome. Uh, well, this has been an awesome interview. I think that uh, folks can take a ton away from this to really get their uh, WordPress business jump started. So, Bill, where can folks find you on the web to say thanks? Um, you can go to my website, BillErickson.net. Find me on Twitter at BillErickson. That's awesome. Bill, thanks for doing the program. Great. Thank you. Let me tell you something. That was an amazing 50th episode. I can't thank Bill enough for coming onto the show, taking the time uh, to share with us his process and how he runs his business. So I hope you learned something. Head on over to iTunes. Give me a five-star review if you love the show. I'd really appreciate it. MacReport.com slash subscribe.